Blog and Grill. Hey, everybody, and welcome to AQ's Blog and Grill. We're really excited to, to have on our podcast today, uh, Michael Brenner. Now, I'm going to do a quick introduction of Michael. It'll embarrass him because, uh, well, maybe not. I think you actually wrote this yourself. But uh, <laughs> uh, Michael Brenner has been recognized as a Forbes top CMO influencer, a top business keynote speaker by the Huffington Post, and a top motivational speaker by Entrepreneur Magazine. Now, I've known Michael for a while, and Yes, he qualifies for all of those uh, descriptions. Now, Michael is CEO of Marketing Insider Group. We're going to find out a little bit more about that uh, in our broadcast, uh, where he has worked with more than 75 brands in building effective content marketing and employee activism or activation programs. He's a sought-after speaker and co-author of two other books. He's held 50 different jobs, and that's kind of fascinating. I think the, the real number is 53. That's right. Uh, 53 jobs, my goodness. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, to starting his company and now shares his life-changing and career-changing uh, enhancing secrets. So this is what we're going to talk about because Michael has a new book out and I really, really like it. And the title itself is pretty provocative. It's uh, Mean People Suck. Mm. How Empathy Leads to Bigger Profits and a Better Life. Please welcome Michael Brenner. Hey, Michael. Hey, Alan, thanks so much for that amazing introduction that your your team must have culled through the internet to find those, those embarrassing a, stats. <laughs> a lot of hard work, and, and it happens to be on the back cover of your new book. So. <laughs> Sounded Everybody's amazing. Everybody's a winner. Everybody's a winner. So I, I love the book because you're, you're talking about empathy. Mm-hmm. And I always think it's a good idea if we as uh, if we as people take our vitamin E uh, every day, and of course that E stands for empathy. I think it makes us uh, makes us better people, makes us better companies, uh, better friends and family. And so I thank you for for writing this writing this book. Thanks. Why did you write it? What was the what was the motivation? Was there a particular aha moment, or is mm -hmm. just something you've been thinking about for a while? Yeah, it was uh, the moment actually happened. I, I, I had given a speech um, a couple of years ago, and someone, a, a very nice woman, afterwards asked me, "You know, I, I'm surprised that a you know sort of an executive like you could be uh, so nice." <laughs> and um, and I was really at first I was you know kind of almost embarrassed at the at the compliment. But then I, you know, I, I sort of like, I was like, wow, I never really thought of myself as an executive. <laughs> and, and then and she was like, you know, I'd love to know more about how you've achieved success. And I was like, well, that's really flattering, but I really don't feel like I've achieved, you know, any success. And, and so it just kind of got me to thinking like, well, you know, where have I come from? And, um, you know, believe it or not, I, I, aside from updating my LinkedIn profile, never really went and looked back and, and decided I was like, wait a second. So I had, you know, seven jobs at my, seven different titles in my first job. I had, you know, 20 different, different jobs before I even went to college. I had three while I was in university. I, you know, and then I had the seven and then, and then I had three and then I had six and, and I just started adding them all up. I'm like, that's a lot of jobs. And, and so that's where it started. And, and as I was doing that, I was like counting, you know, miserable, miserable, hated that guy, hated that company, loved that job, but didn't like the people, you know, boy, the clients were really bad in this one. And I was just like, wow, you know, and then I started talking to other people about it. And, and you know, everybody's miserable in their job at some point, everyone. And, uh, and, and when I looked at the times when I was really happy, 
I found that it was generally, um, you know, where there was a, a mentor who took what felt like extraordinary effort to, to, you know, sort of help me, right. or it was a company that just seemed to be, I was proud to work for, or it was maybe none of those things existed, but there were some customers who just really appreciated the work that I did. And, oh, okay. and so it just started me, you know, thinking, well, you know, this just seems like such a simple thing that, you know, if we have a little bit of empathy for people that we can, you know, sort of not be miserable. And then I did, you know, I saw the research. And I remember, you know, uh, Jim Stingle's book, Grow, and, um, you know, a, a lot of other inspirations that I mentioned in the book. Um, the service profit chain was probably the first uh, inspiration. Right. Uh, where, where this counterintuitive notion of companies with a purpose, a higher purpose, companies with empathy, managers that have empathy um, tend to actually deliver better results. Mm. And so I just felt like, yeah, you know, be nice or have empathy is a pretty boring book title. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, everybody's kind of miserable in their job at some point. And it's this counterintuitive notion that having some empathy can really create better business results. And that's mm -hmm. when I, you know, so it was, that was the process, I guess, if you will. It was okay. the moment and then the process that got me to thinking about the book. Excellent. Thank you. And, you know, you in the book, you mention uh, the new CEO of Microsoft mm -hmm. uh, re doing some re-architecture on mm -hmm. their mission statement and having it come – having it be less about the business and the business results and reframing it more in terms of what Microsoft can do to make the world a better place mm -hmm. uh, for people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think you can argue with the results that he's piling up. No, year after year, he's been named a top five uh, CEO, and and you know I, I make the caveat in the book. I actually have a lot of friends that work at, at Microsoft, and I'm always waiting for that uh, sort of you know internet troll who's going to say, "Well, I had a boss at Microsoft, and he was a jerk," or you know, yeah. um, there. I even Satya Nadella, the CEO at Microsoft, says and admits that there are still issues in their culture. Sure, um, but he has put programs in place. He has to try to address diversity and inclusion and. Um, uh, you know, leaders who are respected by their teams, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, so he's he's making an effort, uh, and I and I really applaud that. That that effort has produced an exponential stock price increase, yes. and so you can't argue with that. And and in the end, I say no company is going to be perfect with that many employees. But wouldn't you rather, if you had to choose? between two, wouldn't you rather work for the CEO who at least says that they're putting empathy at the center of the company versus the one who might say, we're a performance-driven company if you're not ready to show up and, you know, fight with every, you know, muscle to, you know, an, an ounce of energy to kill your opponent. You know, <laughs> you know it, it, we, ha we all have a choice to make, and I would choose, you know, I think the former. Yeah. You, you go on in, in that uh, chapter and the next one to talk about uh, champion leaders mm -hmm. and you you delve into the story of uh, of lego mm -hmm. and again how they maybe had become a performance um based company you know how many kits can we sell uh, how much money can we make mm -hmm. uh, per kit and yet some guy emerged who said I'm not sure that's why we're here yeah and, and how did that turn lego around well, it was almost overnight, and and what happened was it was kind of you know I, I've always kind of respected um, well-intentioned people that could speak truth to power. Uh, uh, I've always tried to um, 
you know, model that in some way, despite my, you know, my, my being a big scaredy cat most of the time. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and there's also a foolish way to do that. But, um, but yeah, Jurgen at, at, at Lego uh, was really impressive in that he was a young guy under 40, I think at the time, he'd only been at Lego less than, less than a year, wow. uh, was, you know, had, had a certain pedigree. It was obviously a smart guy came from McKinsey, but, but, um, he essentially walked into the board and said, you're about to, you're going to go broke. You know, we're, 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 we're losing X millions of dollars a day. We've got too many product lines. We've got, you know, distribution problems. We've got employee morale problems. And he just laid it all out. And he, and he basically just said, if you don't change this, this this you know family uh, run business that feels like a community um, is 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 going out of business, and um, you know he even talks about and I had a similar moment. I know you you read the book that I shared, where he was sat in the parking lot and called his wife and said, you know I think I might be fired, and um, you know they did the opposite. You know and and I I tell the story in the book about how the hero of the story is the board, not him, not right. Jurgen. The hero of the story is the board and and the family. Uh, um, member CEO who said, you know what, not only are you right, you're the one to lead us out of this change. And, you know, the Lego movie came out and they reduced <laughs> their lines and they focused on, on, you know, understanding how girls play and creating toys specifically to, um, you know, di just different, I think different populations, um, largely through empathy. They, uh, you know, I, I recount how they sent their product engineers to go live with families to watch how kids play. Right. Um, and, and so it's really just a great story. I think of both of the ones you just mentioned are great stories of how CEOs can change culture when they want mm -hmm. to, um, you know, but, but m the majority of the book, uh, focuses on what do you do when you're not the CEO? Yes. So you, you, you gave us some great uh, case examples uh, throughout the book of um, whether they be managers, whether they be VPs of marketing or uh, CEOs who just can't let go uh, mm -hmm. of their own uh, prejudices. And, and sometimes it turns out to be the idea of the week or idea of the month. That, that they're committed to after they come home from a conference mm -hmm. <laughs> and we'll, we'll direct you to uh, as, as part of the marketing team or the communications team. Okay. We're going to do this now. And I think you used the example of Instagram, uh, which wasn't appropriate uh, for that uh, company or that product line, but the CEO was sure it was going to work. Mm -hmm. So you, you point out that, that sometimes you have to say no. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, for our listeners who are in that kind of middle manager position, what what kind of advice would you give them uh, to say no and keep their jobs? Yeah, well, and and I, I talk about in the setup to what this this what I call the pushback. Yeah, I talk about the illusion point. The illusion point is when a manager who thinks they know better tells their team to go do something. Yes, the team goes and does it, and it doesn't work. Uh, and, and, you know, if you could rewind time and ask the team, the team probably knew it wasn't going to work. And I call that the illusion point because the manager just thinks he's doing or she's doing his or her job by saying, I'm telling my team what to do. Um, it, it's interesting in that almost all of the CEOs I talked to before writing the book, when I asked them, what is your biggest challenge? They said, I just wish my team would do what I tell them to do. <laughs> and, and yet there was one, um, who said, um, I wish I could build a team 
that felt empowered to do the right thing. And that, that's this whole idea of champion leadership. And so the illusion point is when managers who think they know best ask their team what to do. The team knows it won't work and they do it anyway. They, it's an illusion because it's the tip of the iceberg, right? We only right. see the request. We don't see the effort, the frustration, the lack of results. And that's sort of the illusion point. Um, in order to avoid the illusion point, I, I introduced this concept of the pushback. And there's a great example from Capgemini. Um, where the uh, the CEO of Capgemini had asked uh, a, a relatively lower level marketing person to um, sponsor a, go a golfer for you know tens of millions of dollars, and and sure the marketing team would have loved that twenty million dollar budget, and the sales team would have loved sitting you know on the fancy booth meeting Tiger Woods, uh -huh. um, and all of those things. But uh, but this this individual um, she knew that it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to drive sales. It wasn't going to um, increase their awareness. And so she pushed back in a very simple way. She did some research and she said, "Look, I looked at our client base and I surveyed them, and only fifteen percent care about golf at all. Right. Um, in fact, only eight percent are passionate about golf. The other seven percent just sort of watch it. Uh, us sponsoring a golfer isn't going to move the needle in eighty-five percent of our audience." Um, and even if it, it does move the needle in that 15%, it's probably only going to move it a little bit for the eight that are really passionate if they happen to see our logo. Right. Um, and, and, oh, by the way, we can't measure those results either. You know, maybe we can bring prospects to the fancy booth at the golf uh, tournaments, but, um, you know, I'm, that we probably would have closed those people anyway. So she pushed back and, and, and she had a counter proposal. Her proposal was, hey, for 0.1% of the cost of that golf sponsorship, I think we can create customer focused content and activate our experts to share their thought leadership. And, you know, they, they created this platform that was only intended to kind of increase awareness and 10, you know, it, it ended up delivering a million dollars in new sales. Um, they doubled down in the second year and found $24 million in sales wow. from, you know, 0.1, of the cost of what would have been the illusion, right? The illusion of success with putting a logo on a golfer's hat. Um, it's just a great example. So what she did was she looked at the customers and she, she asked what's in it for them for mm -hmm. us to do the thing that you're asking me to do. Not a lot is the answer. What's yeah. the ultimate goal? You know, and and I think I know a way that we can achieve that goal. That's that's essentially the pushback. You use a little bit of customer insight, you uh, clarify what the objective is, and you you use your your expertise and and experience to propose a way to achieve that goal in a measurable way. That's the pushback. Yeah, terrific example. And for the for the folks that are listening. Um, and you're gonna. I know you're gonna want to pick up this book, "Mean People Suck" by uh, Michael Brenner. He's got a great chart. There's a diagram uh, in the book that shows that illusion point uh, very effectively. Uh, I'm gonna photocopy it or scan it and uh, just tack it up uh, beside my uh, my workstation here uh, <laughs> because it's uh, it's a good reminder. Now, when you're talking about um, people or organizations or bosses or other employees that suck. You kind of look for, uh, Michael, in the book, okay, how, how are we going to solve this? How are mm -hmm. we going to uh, make it better? And one of the things that you suggest, which I think is brilliant, is a new organizational model. So in other words, uh, you point out that, that maybe the org chart that is – the traditional one that's kind of shaped like a triangle or a pyramid mm -hmm. um, 
it, you have to understand that they used to bury people in those pyramids. Uh, <laughs> so those org charts are kind of like this big tomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you go to uh, the circular mm-hmm. uh, thing. Now, how does that work? And, and what's, what's, the, what's the main point of organizing in terms of a circle as opposed to the triangle? Well, and it's it's a very simple visual way to try to su- suggest a, uh, an answer to a very complex problem. And and in fact, in in showing some empathy and kindness, I'd love to offer um, a free PDF uh, if you if you can post it somewhere sure. of of all of the images in the book. Uh, it's my it's my sort of free audiobook companion guide Great. that has these images that you know the illusion point and the org chart and the uh, the bullseye is what we Perfect. What I call Thank it. You, yeah. So I'd be happy to do that. Um, but the yeah, so the, the the reason it's complex is first of all, it reverses the notion that a manager is supposed to lead his or her team. Um, it reverses that because managers are only supposed to make sure that the right resources are in the right place to get a job done. Um, it you know command and control hierarchies existed in the military. Where you know it was a matter of life or death if if you know the soldiers moved to point A or not, um, and and we're not solving you know life or death situations in most of the organizations right. out there, um, and and also the the leaders in a hierarchical uh, command and control structure, um, the assumption is that they have better visibility to what works and, and where the soldiers should go, so to speak. Uh-huh. But in today's world, where customer experience is so important, it's actually frontline employees who know best right. what customers are asking. Um, it's frontline employees and this and the immediate second layer of support, uh, you know, back office employees who know best how to answer the questions that customers are asking. And so uh, this gets back to the service profit chain, which is that you know, happy engaged employees create happy and and loyal customers. Right. And that makes managers and stakeholders and shareholders very happy. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so it, it reverses the the command and control structure. Um, so that's one. That's awesome. one very very difficult thing. The second thing is it and this is very this is actually a very simple way to answer this challenge. If we asked what's in it for the customer in everything that we do, which is really the ultimate outcome of a, of a bullseye or customer-centric organization, we wouldn't do things that don't serve the customer. We wouldn't put logos on golfers. We <laughs> would create content that serves and educates our customers. Right. We would put programs in place that make our employees happy. We would put programs in place that allow our customers to refer other customers because that's what works. Those are the you know we would we would promote and and um, hire um, managers who support their teams. We would fire managers that berate and belittle their teams. Um, you know so when we ask what's in it for the customer, that's the ultimate outcome of a bullseye or customer-centric org model. Um, again, a very complex, I'm not an organizational design, you know, I don't have a PhD in it, but I was shocked to find that there really were no, at least not that I could find, really no alternatives to the org chart out in the literature that I looked at. Yeah. Oh, well, that, it, it's it's an amazing thing. And, um, you know, this, this higher respect uh, for the customer uh, can only be, uh, it can only add traction to an organization if you organize around that customer, yeah. as opposed to the silos of a corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're saying, well, everything we're going to do is going to make the customer's experience uh, better, and it will allow us then to um, increase our profits and, and increase our success. 
which can then be shared amongst the uh, team or the employees and the stakeholders. Um, and I think what we learned uh, from this last 20 years of branding was that the brand really isn't authentic unless your team at the company or the producer believes in something. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're just in it to sell something, um, that's not going to last very long. Mm -hmm. And and you and I are chronologically mature enough uh, to remember the uh, acronym USP, mm -hmm. uh, Unique Selling Proposition. But that doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not about selling. It's about buying. Mm -hmm. How do we make it better, fast, mm -hmm. easier? For the customer to buy from us as opposed to their other choices which yeah. are are pretty yeah. wide um so i i really i really enjoyed those uh, those chapters on uh, an organizational re-architecture not re-engineering mm -hmm. i think re-engineering is you just try to fix stuff that's broken mm -hmm. what you're proposing is let's start over yeah and and i'm also again trying to be conscious of the you know the lower level employee and I've gotten this question like, hey, I, I live in a traditional organizational culture. Mm -hmm. How am I, you know, at the, you know, at the account level, you know, manager level, mm -hmm. not a director, not a VP. How am I going to change the organization? And, and my, my answer is you don't need to. Just start to push back in your own little organization. Mm -hmm. Start to connect and collaborate with your colleagues and teams um, in the, the little circle of influence that you do have. Right. And slowly, I believe that you can at least, if, at the very minimum, create an, a work environment that doesn't completely suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's set the bar low. Let's try to work in a place that doesn't suck. Let's yeah. just start there. Yeah. Know? And and hopefully it gets better from there. It will get better. I'm I you know what? I I think the 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 graduates I'm I'm you know, teaching at a at a university and and uh my graduates are not looking for the old school. Uh they are looking for something that's better. Mm -hmm. And um you know, being better and not being a boss, mm -hmm. being a leader as opposed to a boss is something that they aspire to. Yeah. And and this cultural shift is is bang on mm -hmm. uh, with that. So in the book, you point out that, you know, we've, we've been focused for the last little while on customer experience or brand experience. And that empathy itself could be seen as um, the, the main component of uh, – customer experience is that true well yeah i mean it, it basically comes down to um you can't provide a great experience for customers if you don't care about them mm. like, like it, you know it's kind of like you can't you can't fake your way to caring um right. and and empathy like i could have written a book about kindness and and i do think um kindness is a big part of it but kindness is an outcome i think from from really truly understanding what other people mm. care about Right. Uh, knowing what it feels like to be, uh, you know, that's the other thing I talk about, you know, like marketing myopia, we mar marketers walk into buildings and create ads that they themselves would hate as consumers. That That's exactly the kind of, of, you know, ridiculous world that I think we live in sometimes, Yeah. you know, but if, if we created, you know, programs that we ourselves would love or enjoy or it, be helped by, you know, it would change the way that we, create experiences for customers. So yeah, I do think empathy is the key. Yeah. There, there's a controversy right now um, about the uh, Peloton um, exercise bike thing. And, and 
you know, the misstep or the, the yeah, the misstep that uh, the brand Peloton might have made mm. in picturing the characters the way they did. Um, what do you think about that? Did 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 that message? Uh, did that message suck? Uh, did they not respect or uh, really pay attention to some insight on the target groups? Yeah, you know, it's it's one of the things. So, you know, and my wife and I are both pretty woke, if you will. I think <laughs> yes. I think we're pretty sensitive to those kinds of cultural norms that are that are that are increasing in sensitivity a uh-huh. bit. Uh, both of us didn't see that commercial at the first viewing in that way, right. but as soon as we saw the the, the Twitter sort of uh, controversy <laughs> and then the, you know the the media that pursued uh, yeah. from that, um, both were like, oh yeah, you know, it, it does kind of from that perspective look like they and and so i guess it just makes me wonder you know did they show it to anyone outside of their boardroom and marketing team and agency um you know were there any women involved because i think uh, women were you know maybe the ones to take a little bit of offense and i think again i i completely it's not i'm not saying in any way that 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 there was uh, an overreaction because I don't think it was. I, I do look at the commercial and think, mm, you know, it probably shouldn't have been made and released. <laughs> you know, if, if any group of a hundred people had seen it, somebody in that group would have said, you know, it kind of looks like the paternalistic a-hole husband is yeah. telling his 116 year old wife, she needs to lose, you know, <laughs> lose weight, you know, the beautiful model that she is that, and yeah. You know, and then and then she has to you know videotape herself proving to him that you know it's from that when when somebody points it yeah. out. It, so anyway, it, yeah, it just goes back to I think you know how much customer insight right. really went into the production of yeah, that. And, and then the understanding of that insight. They might have gathered it, mm-hmm. but maybe they didn't spend enough time interpreting it. Yeah, and. I'm very much like like your experience. I saw it the first time and I didn't pay any attention to it. Yeah. Um, that's then I started to hear the, and then I went back and I paid more attention and I went, okay, mm-hmm. maybe this is a little off uh, culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then when they lose um, so much stock value, uh, yeah. company equity, mm-hmm. yike. Yeah. Uh, that's a real reaction yeah. right there. Yeah. So the, Michael, the, I think the thing I was most disappointed mm-hmm. about, not to go too deep on this, but yeah. their, their response was we were misunderstood. <laughs> yes. And hmm. it, you know, I, like my initial reaction would have been, you know what? We didn't see it that way. We mm-hmm. didn't intend it that way, but we're sorry if it like came off yes. that way. I, yeah. I, it wouldn't take long. It, you don't need a PR consultant to tell you that was a better way to react than you just misunderstood us. Absolutely. And then what <laughs> did you think of the, um, the response from the, uh, uh, the gin company? That, that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. That was Wasn't great. that great? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a future in this business for communications when you see that happen or when they had the, the blackout at the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. you know, the last time this, the 49ers were in it. Um, where somebody just went, holy smokes, I have permission mm-hmm. to do this. Um, and they, they showed the dunking of the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cookie and uh, the black. It was just, it was just brilliant. And as you say, in, in any sort of organizational culture, the people have to feel safe mm-hmm. uh, and empowered to, to push back as long as they have the alternative Mm-hmm. Uh, ready. Hey, boss, you know, like uh, I know you're a big Phil Mickelson fan, but mm-hmm. uh, 
our customers really aren't. Yeah. Um, and maybe we could we could rechannel the money here and increase sales. Mm -hmm. And as long as there's a win-win. And win, uh, mm -hmm. win for the employee, a win for the boss, and a win for the customer. Yeah. Um, that may turn out. Uh, that may turn out well. Right. So, just closing up, um, mm -hmm. what kind of advice would you give us, uh, your readers and your listeners, uh, to being uh, to being better at not sucking? Yeah. How do we improve our not our non suckage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely a word. Um, I, well, I think it really comes down to you know asking this question. So, I, in I, in in keynotes in leading up to the book, while I was writing it, I tried to introduce a hashtag WFT or or WIFT. What's in yes. it for the customer? Uh -huh. um, and and what I what I found was that. There's three C's. There's the customer, there's your colleagues, and there's the company. Uh, and I think most companies think I'm the company we tell our, our or we tell our employees what to do, and that creates value for customers. It's the opposite. And so what's interesting about putting customers at the center is that you realize you need your employees to be engaged to deliver on that. Right. That, that yeah. promise. And so the real secret in this book, and and Gallup is you know covering employee engagement for years. Mm -hmm. They celebrated that it went from 32 to 34 uh, percent employees engaged. Yeah, one in seven employees are stealing computers, pens, and and taking you know time off when they're not really sick. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a crisis of empathy and engagement for employees. The, my advice to companies and to individuals out there, whether you're a leader or just an individual contributor, is to make connections with your colleagues. To, to try to build engagement and trust across your team um, with the common goal of serving the customer. Yeah. And, and when a manager or a boss that thinks they know better gets in the way, learn this art of the pushback. Right. Learn the art of – I spend two chapters about on storytelling, one on mm -hmm. selling the story and the other on telling the story. Learn how to tell a – how to put – pitch a business case on why change needs to happen. It's probably the most under uh, edu you know, um, taught skill, I think, in, in the business world and, and in higher education is how do individual people present a business case of change to people who are above them in the, you know, in the hierarchy? Mm -hmm. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, so that's my, that's my, you know, sort of, I don't know if that was one piece of advice, but basically make connections with your team, with your fellow colleagues uh, around that common purpose of serving customers and learn how to present a business case. There we go. I think those that that is excellent advice that that really can connect with people and it's something they can start using um, today. I hope so. Yeah, well, I, I hope so too. So <laughs> if we want to know more about uh, Michael Brenner and who doesn't, um, <laughs> I would go to uh, meanpeoplesuck.com. Yeah. And I would also go to Michael's uh, LinkedIn page, mm -hmm. which is excellent because Michael posts – uh, two to four times a day. Yeah. Uh, and all of those posts are, are coming from either Marketing Insider, which is his, his organization, mm -hmm. or he's connecting to something relevant from Fast Company or HBR or mm -hmm. Strategy. Uh, these, uh, he's worth his weight in gold uh, okay. for us who want to keep learning. And that's the other thing in this book that uh, it's em emphasized. It's keep learning. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll get better. We'll get better. Uh, as we do that and use the um, the kindness rule, mm -hmm. uh, think and feel like the customer 
uh, and you'll be uh, you'll be more successful. So thank you, Michael. Uh, it's been great ch- chatting to you again. Yeah. And uh, people go out and buy this book. Um, mean people suck. It's a great title, <laughs> and I'm sure it's getting a lot of attention there. I got mine. Actually, I bought a hard copy um, because it's it's things I can make notes on. But I also bought the Kindle version, uh, which makes it easy for me to highlight. So if people are in my group, they can see some important things that at least I thought were important. And there's a lot of highlighting uh, on this uh, on this book by Michael Brenner. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, and, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we'll do it again. And yeah. thanks everybody for listening in to the AQ's Blog and Grill podcast. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Hughes Blog and Grill.